This episode of the Good Pop Culture Club is brought to you by Audible Theater Presents Good Enemy, a world premiere play by Audible Theater emerging playwright Yilong Liu, directed by Obie Award winner Che Yu, about a father who learns that closing the door to his past means shutting his daughter out. A smart and thrilling story that deftly weaves together two generations and two countries, the U.S. and China, both during times of sweeping social changes, exploring the power of human connections. This hopeful show includes a road trip across America, theatrical flashbacks to 1984 China, action, suspense, secrets, discussions of generational trauma, and the bonding power of TikTok between a father and daughter. The play stars Obi Award winner Francis Ju, uh, who was recently seen, who who was recently seen on Pacific Overtures on Broadway and Soft Power at the Public. Previews begin October 25th at the Manetta Lane Theater in New York City and will run for a limited five-week engagement through November 27th. Tickets are on sale now at goodandmeplay.com. So if you're lucky enough to be in New York during the next few weeks, um, definitely check it out. And use our special Good Pop Culture Club discount code, um, GPCC25, um, all caps. When you do, the code will unlock $25 tickets if you use it before November 5th. And afterwards, the code will give you a 25% discount. So definitely, if you want the most bang for your buck, the earlier, the better. Um, The show does contain nudity, sexual content, and gunshots. So parental discretion is advised. Once again, the play is playing from October 25th to November 27th at the Manetta Lane Theater in New York City. And our special Good Pop discount code is GPCC25. Thanks again to Audible Theater Presents Good Enemy for supporting the Good Pop Culture Club. And now, on with the show. You're listening to... And what is poppin' everybody? You're listening to episode 127 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed, formerly, actually formerly self-proclaimed professional Asian American, just you. Hello, Marvin. How's the formerly self-proclaimed professional life? Um, she's doing good, and I did the spookiest again. I did the spookiest thing over the Halloween weekend, which is go on to try wedding dresses <laughs> with my Asian immigrant mother. Right. How um, and it was all things considered pretty good. Oh. Pretty good. I'm still so tired though. Mom behaved. Mom behaved. She behaved, but man, it's a weird ass thing. Like I love shopping, but like this is not shopping. This is like test driving a car. It sounds onerous to me. Um, so how many shops did you go to? We did three in one day. And I tried on probably over like 30 something dresses. Did you find your dress? I think I did. But okay. we have one. I have one more place that I couldn't get a book like a like an appointment for. Like the fact that you have to make appointments to shop. That's already weird, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense. Yeah. So but it's like it's like, ooh, you got to just like get in and out. Some of these dresses like way like. 10 something pounds you're like oh and i was not even trying on some of the more intense ones you know so uh yeah but i think it went fairly well i think we got it so yeah i'm not a i'm not a complete like lost cause (laughs) wait i thought you were gonna fly your dress in from new york what happened to that plan um that was if i couldn't find one that was like in in my budget but um (laughs) i think as part of like 
some like guilt money. My parents are like, we'll pay for the dress and, and guilt money from, um, you know, causing me emotional turmoil as all immigrant Asian parents do. So I'm Mm. like, okay, that's fine. I don't got to fly to New York then. I mean, you know, one of the ways Asian parents will love is to throw money at their kids. Yeah. Yeah, If it's not food, it's money. Yeah. (laughs) But is that enough? Is that enough? Well, we have plenty of movies in the Asian American canon exploring those themes. Yeah. I have been watching a lot of, um, wedding related movies uh just because i find them fun and my Mm -hmm. favorite again which is not in the cultural canon because it's not a very good movie is bride wars (laughs) but very specifically very specifically there's a scene where anne hathaway just sends out like a poorly written email with riddled with typos to as her save the date and i really want to do that but i feel like everyone (laughs) will be like are you okay did you have a stroke yeah as opposed to no like it's a joke yeah anne Uh, hathaway Yeah, that would be a reference I would not have gotten. <laughs> yeah, the, maybe send it with the clip. Um, right, the title right. of the email is like, this is knit spim. <laughs> like wedding. I'm getting married. This is not spim. Because <laughs> it's just she's just like literally cranking it out, like trying to get it out before Kate Hudson's character, um, which I was like, that's actually a great way. Who says like, why would you send us it? Like no disrespect to people who like prioritize send the save the dates. But I'm just like. All you bitches gonna throw this away anyways. Like, I'm not gonna spend like a dollar per postcard and posting to like have you throw this away. You get oh, yeah. an email. Oh, I'm fine with digital. Like that makes way more sense to me. But yeah. Jess, I promise it'll go on my fridge. And then into your trash can. If <laughs> yeah, you want Marvin, I will specifically just give you a Polaroid of my face <laughs> and be like, save the day. If that's what you want, I will do that for you. Deal. Done. Okay. All Next right. time I see you in person, I will hand you one. Says the person who invited nobody to their wedding. That's fine. And that is your prerogative. <laughs> also joining us, the most professional of culture editors, Han Nguyen. Hey, Han. It hey. was your birthday this week. Yeah. yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, How yeah. did you celebrate? I didn't celebrate much. <laughs> I had dinner out with friends, which is pretty much my speed right now. Um, I, But also this whole week I've taken off. So you are getting me in the middle of the day. Usually when we record, you have to like wait till the evening when I'm done with work. So do we sound peppier, guys? Like, do you think <laughs> do you think there's a discernible difference? Can you tell I am not like uh, like way down with the weight of my day <laughs> there's no like also there's no like night critters like trying to attack you or your cats right now yeah no there's squirrels right now so no i did see a raccoon yesterday though <laughs> um at night when i got home from my dinner i was just like i heard a rustling and i was like oh hey raccoon and then it's like he, he paused to look at me because i was talking to him i'm just glad i could see your face because the last few recordings we've done a little <laughs> later at night and um han it you know as we all know, Han lives in the wilderness, and like and the last few times, it's like we were talking to someone in witness protection. <laughs> yeah, it was like just, just a silhouette of a, of me, and then my voice coming out of it. Um, because I've been trying to teach my cats later at night, like this is when you have to stay inside and you can't go outside and romp around the yard. And so I would turn off the lights inside also um, to kind of get them to settle down. Um, but uh, yeah, so you get to see my face, which is fun. Um, Hopefully we get to hang out soon too. But yeah, it's yeah. just been it's just been kind of nice, just relaxing. It's weird weather in LA. It rained today. It did for like ten seconds. 
Oh, no. Well, I was at the gym and then my gym <laughs> apparently had a leak. So oh, I definitely no. saw. Yeah, I saw the rain and come into the gym. <laughs> I mean, we're starting to see the beginnings of sweater weather here in Los Angeles, which um, is yeah. always kind of a tease because you're never sure if it'll stay or leave. Yeah. And, or it gets to be like super hot in the afternoon and you're like, crap, I just wore a sweater and no shirt underneath. And I got sweat through the sweater. Yeah, you ha- You have to layer. That's the only way to do it because I, I definitely get sweaty pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, anyway, so Anyways, yeah. yeah. <laughs> On this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club, we've, for the first time in a while, we've gone to the movies. Not together, um, but uh, <laughs> I did go to the cinema with Jess yesterday. Um, Han watched this movie last week with her friend. Angie Han. Yeah. Yes. Um, but we're talking about the new Park Chan-wook film, Decision to Leave, which is, um, I guess, this year's entry in Korean auteur award-winning cinema. And yeah, I'm sure we'll have lots to say about this film. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through this week. Um, let's start with Jess. What's popping? So I also uh, went to the movies earlier to watch a very different <laughs> kind of movie. The new George Clooney, Julia Roberts film. Ticket to Paradise. And that is some old school rom-com um, movie. It's a, it's a very, I don't mean this in a bad way. It's a very old fashioned movie, right? Like very simple formula, hijinks, movie stars. Um, and it was not the greatest movie, but it was highly, highly enjoyable because that is the power of George Clooney and Julia Roberts. And I will say, I'm not even the biggest Clooney and Roberts fan, but like it is kind of undeniable that there's a reason why they're movie stars. And there's a reason why they used to get $20 million per picture to do like pretty standard stuff. They're very good at it. They're extremely charming. Uh, It's really fun to see them kind of go into this new era where they are now the parents. Right. Uh, Because I think, well, for me, Julia Roberts is like pretty woman, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. Notting Hill, um, Aaron Brockovic even. And if you put any other two people in this, it's a streamer movie. <laughs> like yeah. it's a it's a it's a mid-level streamer movie. Yeah. They uh, elevated but, it to theater. Yeah. And it's fun. It's set against um, you know, it's it it um I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I did give notes on this like a few years ago. And I think they took them very well. They made the cause the the movie's set against Bali. In Bali, and basically their daughter, who has just finished law school, is has decided to not continue her career, but to marry a young, handsome Balinese man, uh, mm. played by Maxime B- Batidas. I don't know his last name, but he did very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, going head to head with George Clooney, and um, it like it was very respectfully done. There was no jokes about like the comedy of errors was kind of always on the like. American side uh, I think we got to see a lot more of his family And how like it was a Feasible Decision she would make right Like y- y- the movie definitely presents that The daughter who's deciding not to go back To the United States is making the right decision Like she gets to live in this beautiful place She has a very loving husband They have a super warm Family um, And she gets to live in Bali mm-hmm. uh, And so would highly recommend If you want just to it's a good mom movie. Like you should take your mom to this movie and just watch it. She will be your mom will be chuffed. <laughs> okay, so 
I wasn't crazy in that this film has been like in the works for because I'm pretty sure I saw a trailer for this film years ago. And I wasn't sure if it was just another George Clooney, Julia Roberts film or this was the same one just released now. It's it's the same one because Julia Roberts has not made a film in like four years <laughs> and she's been doing more serious stuff. She's been doing TV, which is like, whoa, who would have thought? Um, but, you know. Let them be charming. Let movie stars be attractive and charming. Um, but I do think whoever who stole the show was Lucas Bravo, the hot oh. chef from Amelie in Paris. He's yes. very funny as the younger boyfriend to Julia Roberts' character, who's kind of just like a yes man pushover, but like very sweet. Um, no one's really a bad guy in this movie, which is nice. And he's he's very funny, and I feel like he doesn't get to be that funny in Amelie in Paris. He just gets to be hot, and yeah. this one he gets to be hot and funny. And oh well, you, you know I, we like it when they're hot and funny. I'm well because that makes him hotter. So I am sold. I've been wanting to have an indulgence movie. Uh, yes, during my week out. So yes, you know, like cool. definitely the perfect movie. You don't want to think too hard. You just want to eat some popcorn and mm-hmm. like feel warm at the end of it. Um, and look, it is. My one one big critique is I'm like, this is obviously not Bali. They shot this in Australia. Like Bali's definitely more beautiful, even more beautiful than this, just from what I've seen. But I was like, I get it. It was COVID. They shot it in Australia during the COVID shutdowns. I'm like, you know what? I'll be grateful for what I can get. Uh, but I was just like, Bali looks better than this. This kind of just looks like California. It's like when they always try to, it's like when Plus One tried to say Terra Neva was like, Malibu was like Hawaii. I'm like, mm. I get your budget didn't have the means to go to Hawaii, but like, if you're gonna do tropical, you better give me tropical. I mean, you only people from tropical places would notice that though, and California. Yeah. You know, haven't we all looked at pictures of Bali? Enough Instagram photos of Bali to know what Bali kind like the vibe a little bit. <laughs> I, I maybe maybe I would notice it. Kind of like how I'm very hyper aware of everything that is actually shot in Vancouver. Uh, <laughs> yes, like that's not Chinatown. Like none of our Chinatowns look like that. That right. is that is not accurate. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, really good time. Would recommend Han. <laughs> All right, Han, what's popping with you? Okay, so this is maybe sort of an unfortunate coincidence, but um, so I'm going to talk about another K drama that I started watching, and I started watching it because I had seen um, What's Wrong with Secretary Wu, which is on Hulu right now. And it's the one I was kind of complaining about where it's basically like, this is an HR violation. Why is the secretary dating her boss and then marrying him? Um, so, <laughs> And I had so many problems with that show, but I, I stuck with it. And in the end, I realized, well, the reason why I stuck with it was I really like the main actor, who is uh, Park Sojun. And so I looked to see what else he had done because I think that was like a 2018 show. So um, I found that he was in a series on Netflix called Itaewon Class. And so I started watching that a couple of weeks ago. And um, so we're going to kind of touch on this only very lightly. But um, I, I think a lot of us are aware of what happened in uh, Itaewon um, over a Halloween weekend the uh, crowd crush that killed over 150 people. Um, But one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to bring it up was when I was watching this series by episode three, the main character, he had been in jail for a while. And so he goes, um, his friend had been writing to him in jail and was explaining about this festival that happens in the neighborhood of Itaewon um, in Seoul. And basically it's Halloween. And so you get to see sort of like, him going through the crowds and seeing the Halloween um, 
costuming. And I remember at the time watching this thinking, oh, my God, this is like this is Halloween. And they're, of course, describing it as a sort of a sort of almost like how people would describe Mardi Gras to people or whatever. Um, But I think one of the main important things that I really liked about learning about this neighborhood and why I think maybe this tragedy seems even kind of hits home even more for me is because um, uh, Itaewon neighborhood, or at least that whatever is, um, is very inclusive. So it's not just young people who are there. There's a lot of young people and it's also a big tourist spot. So there's definitely going to be a lot more English speakers there and people from all around the world there, but it's also more inclusive in a, um, a, queer sense and so that's why also there are younger people there too because a lot of the younger people in Korea are more open and inclusive to people of all genders and types and everything so um, that's why it was also kind of like also heartbreaking thinking about like these are the types of people who you know were might have been in that situation but what I like about the show is that it's a 2020 show and you know a lot of these k-dramas are kind of conservative but this one at least is making efforts so there is a transgender character i don't know if the actor is um the the way they talk about transgender stuff is a little bit maybe behind how america talks about it not to say it's wrong but you know it's not the same um and there is a black character and I have to say the black character actually makes me laugh because it's very similar to how asians are in america which is people look at this character and expect him to speak English. (laughs) And so whereas we here in America, people expect us to speak some sort of foreign language. Like I've definitely been, you know, someone turned to me once in a movie was like, what are they saying? And I'm like, it's some sort of Chinese. I don't know. Um, So in in the show, they expect him to speak English. And he's like, no, I'm Korean. (laughs) Um, but but he's black and so uh there's 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 an interesting you know conversation there a little bit about like nationality in in korean and and characters keep saying like no you don't look korean he's like but i am korean (laughs) you know so um there's a lot of interesting stuff there but overall it's a show about um revenge because the main character went to jail not well because he was beating someone up for killing his dad um and so he's Plan to just take down this whole big corporation. He's doing this by running a pub. Um, so I really love the pub life. That was that's pretty cool. <laughs> and also he has hired a bunch of like misfits. And so I love all the um, sort of misfits he has around him, including the main um, girl who is basically like a girl who's a genius, but is sort of like disaffected youth and um, some people call her maybe a possible psychopath she's also a social media like superstar and um, she's she's very drawn to his very uh, um, how do I describe this he's very principled and and not a lot of people have that integrity um, so it's it's I don't know I think it's pretty interesting I'm halfway through um, and I, I don't I, I think it's kind of I think it's worth checking out. Um, I like the guy a lot. And then also all the supporting characters are really interesting. Yeah. Itaewon Class was actually the drama that we took a look at for, I think it was season three of the Korean drama podcast Ah, on the Public Network. And so I'm very familiar with this series. (gasps) Um, There's a lot of, I'm curious about your thoughts once you finish the series. Okay. Okay. I am actually going to go back then. And now that I know that that was the series, because I know you moved on from boys over flowers, but I didn't (laughs) keep up with which other show. So I will actually now check out Itaewon class. I, since I'm at episode 10, so I can probably start listening. Yeah. I mean, Um, I think that the main thing is 
um, just forewarn. It is a K drama, but it's actually it's um, this particular genre of K drama can get a little violent. So it's um, very yeah. gory. Oh my god! I since I already spoiled it, but it's not like a big spoiler. <laughs> like that the dad dies, you have to endure it. So I have warned my friends. Like I was like. I can just give you a summary of the first two episodes and you can start on episode three because <laughs> the first two episodes is like giving the back origin story yeah. of why he wants he wants revenge. And I was just like, wow, this was way more than like, way, I was. Yeah, yeah the way <laughs> the series rough. starts is kind of borders on trauma porn. Um, yeah. But Ooh. then afterwards it gets to the found family kind of quirky. Yeah. Found family yeah, tropes, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. There's still a lot of yelling, people slapping at each other. There's a lot of slapping in these, uh, these dramas, but um, I, 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 if you are that kind of person, I highly recommend just skipping ep- those first two episodes. They yeah. will give you enough of uh, uh, flashbacks to, for you to oh, understand. What's it's going a K drama. There's got to be tons yeah. of flashbacks <laughs> just to remind you what's going and, on. And in fact, the flashback might be traumatic enough. You might just want to fast forward <laughs> and just like, yeah, do it yeah. that way. But anyway, so yes, um, I started watching it late, but at the same time, it seems to be timely at this point. Um, so I thought I might as well mention it. Uh, yeah. And late also, Marvin, what are you watching? What's with you? <laughs> Not as late as uh, E2Fan class, but equally a show about trauma and PTSD. <laughs> and oh, yeah. just one of the most stressful shows I've ever seen. But it's just, it's good TV. I've been watching The Bear on Hulu and FX, which is... Um, not about a bear. <laughs> no, nor about the LGBTQ term bear, <laughs> which was very, very confusing for me for the first few days. <laughs> yeah, it it is a story about actually one of my favorite types of fiction, which is it's a story about restaurants and probably one of the most, I guess, like this isn't like Kitchen Confidential from like the 2000s starring um, Bradley Cooper as like not Anthony Bourdain. This is about like a turn and burn Italian beef place in Chicago. And I mean, the show is funny. Um, it's executive produced by Hiro Murai, um, who is best known as the, he's the director of the Atlanta series. And you kind of see some of his fingerprints in there. Cause the show get, does get a little like meta and weird too here and there. Um, but you know, the show is about um, the main guy, Carmi. He it comes from like, not the French laundry, but the French laundry uh, mm-hmm. type of restaurant where he was abused by a chef played by Joel McHale um, in a role I did not recognize until later on. And he returns to Chicago to take over his family's Italian beef restaurant because his brother committed suicide. And so he's there trying to keep this business afloat that's drowning in debt to like the local family friend slash mob boss, I want to say. And all the while trying to bring his like highfalutin coastal restaurant tendencies to this turn and burn family restaurant environment and clashing with all like the the lifers that work there so i'm curious um since you were watching it late were you aware of some of the weirdly sexual discourse that was going on about the show yeah they were like really horny for carmy and just like line cooks yeah really? the whole the whole lingo of the uh yes chef and like hands and, you and know, like behind behind yeah all of that stuff was like getting like having this double entendre you know? <laughs> wait um, was this like coming up from like the discourse or like in the yeah, show. just yeah, the cultural discourse. Everyone was like really horny. <laughs> they were really horny for this show. It was it was interesting because I was just like, someone was describing it to me um, in in a pitch meeting, not to me, but someone else, and they were just like, yeah, because so and so is really good looking, and I was like, is he? And I was like, okay, well, you know, everyone has their own thing. But, I just can't I mean, get they over. That, like, they all oh. have that like dirty, rugged kind of like 
they're, they're modern name like. pirates. Yeah. 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 They're like, yeah. It's like that grungy. It's like, it's like roadies, um, line cooks, and just like, it's the same vibe. Yeah. 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 It's, it's sort of that in the best possible way, dirtbag chef sort of thing. Dirtbag, but like good with your hands. Yeah. yeah. And like, talented yeah. inked up you know yeah <laughs> but i will say i have had an italian beef sandwich in chicago and i've never been more angry in my life it was the most disgusting thing i've ever <laughs> eaten come at me chicago it tastes like shaved beef cooked in mop water in general i haven't been super impressed with chicago foods and i i've only been there once so i full you know full confession that maybe i need to try other things but kind of have to agree i didn't have that I had the Chicago pizza. Um, did no, not have a no, dog. No, it's a lasagna. It's not a pizza. Oh yeah, it was a, it's a casserole. It's a casserole. Oh, yeah, geez. but it was gross. And then also like, I where didn't did have you a go Chicago though? Dog. This is important too. I went to Lou like one of the famous ones. Yeah, <laughs> I, went, I went to Lou Malnati's. Lou is pretty good, I think. Um, yeah. I went to Lou Malnati's too, and it wasn't like I'm just like it's not bad. This is just not pizza. It's like if I have to use a fork and a knife. It's yeah, and pizza. it's and it's soggy. No, it's, it's not pizza. pizza. It's, it's not pizza. pizza. It has the components. Sorry, like New York style all the way. Oh, New York style. I don't even like Italian pizza. Like I go to Italy, I'm like, this is shit. <laughs> yeah. Why is the I, middle uncooked? <laughs> yeah, I like New York style the best. So I anyway. like a good. I mean, I like a good Italian Fight beef sandwich. Me. It needs to be dipped though. I think the the bread does need to be a little soggy for it to like truly. No, the taste meat delicious. has no char on it. It's literally cooked in mop water. It's like gray. It's just gray. It's disgusting. Oof. And I've never been more mad because everybody in all these guidebooks are like, you gotta have to have Italian beef, Italian beef. I'm like, if the Italians would cry, they would cry. Well, maybe you haven't had Carmi's. So <laughs> if they want to bring him out and like say that this is his Italian beef, I'll try it. <laughs> I'll give it a I'll give it a whirl. But uh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean on on the note of the the hands and the the calling out that's just how you have to operate in a work environment where everything can burn or cut you oh yeah yeah no i i absolutely agree i think that this communication is very important <laughs> but uh, i still yeah, burn just scars from my job from, from that's <laughs> the that's the that's the uh female gaze fantasy they just want a man who will communicate Yes, exactly. <laughs> and who can like cook a little? Who do can do some household labor? This is the, the bar is in hell, Marvin. Yeah, I was happy I, to see um, um, Eben Mas Bakrak um, oh, back yeah. on the show because I actually did not know he was on this show. I had seen him first on Andor, where he plays Skeen. Yes, yes. Um, where he brings a whole like it's the same energy but different. I feel uh-huh, like uh-huh, in this uh-huh. show, um, but. I'm only halfway through the season. I haven't finished it yet. Mm. Um, but I'm interested to see where they go because right now everything is just, I mean, the show is about a failing restaurant in like post pandemic. Right. Um, and so everything is kind of chaos right now. Everyone's mad all the time. Um, but I'm interested to see, I'm interested to see where, where the show goes. Uh, yeah. Well, the nice thing is it's a good time investment because there is a second season coming. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. I'll probably check back uh, once again once I finish the season. I'm watching it with my my wife um, together. So, uh, you know, we're watching it whenever we can find Aww. time. <laughs> the fact that you didn't say it in the Borat oh. voice took a lot of, I feel like that took a lot of self-control. Good job, Marvin. <laughs> I held back. <laughs> Even I know. though I heard it. Good job, Han. Good job, Han. Good job, all of us. <laughs> All right, that's what's actually no. We need do. Should we do? We need to check in. I feel like nothing really happened on this week's Great it's, British Bake Off. It was just like yeah, Shabira kind of, rocked yeah. it again. Um, except, well, she rocked it and then failed and then rocked it again. So, yeah, as long as she wasn't like 
you know, bottom two or whatever. And I, I feel like, yeah, I, I kind of only half watched it, I have to admit. Um, and it was just like making sure that she was doing fine. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm only just rooting for her. I don't only care about the other guys. Kind of. Um, <laughs> if she doesn't make top three, then I call foul. I want I her to kind- win. Yeah. But... Yeah. I'm kind of sad that um, um, Scottish Kevin left. I feel like he was one of our last personality castings. Mm-hmm. So now everyone's just kind of like they're good and they're not offensive. They're just kind of boring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree there. He he was at least fun. Um, I mean, and you still gives good sass, Yanus, though. Yeah. Oh, I love Yanus. But Yanus, you got to work He's, on your flavors. Yeah. The drip <laughs> is great, but the flavors. <laughs> yeah, he's sweet, but he's not as like kick ass as some of the other foreign chefs from past seasons um, i mean we're at the last third of the season it's time for competent baking as opposed to uh you know whatever chaos that uh kevin brought every week yeah i don't know how i feel about sandro like why why do i feel like he's so wildly inconsistent sometimes he's like amazing pastry chef and other times i was like wait what i don't understand. i think also the putting the mustache on the cake during mexican week it's like we gotta take oh, yeah. some points off for Sandra. yeah thank you <laughs> anyway anyways all right well yes. <laughs> um another week another uh, it's a food crimeless week so you know weeks since last great british pick off food crime one we'll see how next <laughs> week goes um it's, uh pastry week i believe coming oh, up yeah no there's Surely there will be no food crimes this week, right? <laughs> All right. Well, that's what's popping. Uh, when we come back, we're talking about decision to leave. Stick around. Hello, I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. This week we're talking about Decision to Leave, the latest film from legendary Korean director Park Chan-wook, who previously directed The Handmaiden and Old Boy, famously. Um, The most classic of, speaking of Korean, revenge stories. Um, that's the film that taught everyone that Koreans hold a grudge. 
like no other. Better than anyone else. <laughs> um, Decision to Leave is co-written and directed by Park Chan-wook, starring Tang Wei and Park Hae-il. Um, that won the Palme d'Or at the 2022 Cannes Film Festival, um, where Park Chan-wook also won Best Director. Um, so yeah, that solidifies its role as this year's Korean art film to watch. <laughs> um, the plot is about a detective who falls for a mysterious widow after she becomes the prime suspect in his latest murder investigation. What did we all think of Decision to Leave? I had no idea what this movie was about, um, which is always fun. Yeah. This is how I got went into Parasite as well. My fear with some of these movies is that it's always a little boring, right? Like it could be a parasite or it can be a burning, um, which is like a three hour slow, literal slow burn, which I do not enjoy. I respect the art, but I do not enjoy. But, you know, I think a lo- the majority of like South Korean like cinematic directors like the the really like international players they do a very good job of balancing like high art entertainment humor you know or and and whatever darkness and drama that makes i think these movies interesting so i had a really good time surprisingly (laughs) um i know he also did old boy which i've not actually watched in its entirety Mm -hmm. And The Handmaiden, which is like very lesbian. Also it's have not watched it. Super sexual. <laughs> we super will talk sexual. about that in a second. So yeah. I almost, but like not even knowing these, like the full movie or having seen them, but like knowing, knowing the discussion about his other films. This one seems almost very tame by comparison. Definitely, like yeah. very, very mild in comparison, which was surprising to me. Yeah, that was surprising to me too. Because, you know, you hear Park Chan-wook, you think old boy, you think Handmaiden, you think like... Like big, I, mean, I like, know the yeah. twist in Old Boy, and I'm just like, so I was kind maybe, and that's maybe that's unfair, <laughs> but I was kind of waiting for like a bomb that large for Decision to Leave, mm. and it's a pretty straightforward modern noir. It, it, it's 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 I would even say it's a little more again subdued or more subtle kind of noir. Well, I feel like it's two movies. It's like the first movie is a detective movie, and the second movie is like. Fatal attraction, like thriller, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I went in. Well, I don't want to say blind to this because uh, I did have to read a review that someone had written for Salon, but I, I also sort of usually forget about what this person says because my opinions aren't always like match with his. So I do remember just understanding that I wanted to just get the vibes from this, right? So um, but I also did go into this because I had read some interviews where he said it's not going to be as violent, it's not going to be as sexual as my previous things because he did want to get more people to watch it, his film. So that was deliberate on his part. Um, and I, yeah, I very much enjoyed it because I, I, I think he did like have a mastery over tone throughout and there is enough of that sort of um ambiguous um sort of mystery going on like did she do it did he did she not and is he how far is he gonna go with his like crush on this widow um and all this other stuff and it did feel very hitchcockian to me because they're not necessarily like heroes but they're not necessarily anti-heroes um and it i it was also visually like really interesting like for me, just to sit back and like look at stuff was fun. Um, I I really liked. Well, 
we'll, we'll get into this when we get into spoilers. So, <laughs> yeah, um, we're going to have a little spoiler section at the end because as a mystery, I think mm-hmm. we do want to talk about how everything resolves. But we also want, if you haven't watched the film yet, to give you a sense of what it's like and the vibe to make your own decision if you want to go see this film. Um, yeah, for me, this is probably the first like capital C cinema film that I've seen in like over a year. Like I haven't really, you know, since Green Knight. Since Green Knight, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I fell asleep in. <laughs> and man, yeah, it was. It definitely weaves together a lot of different moods and vibes. It's unsettling. It's tense. It's funny. It's quiet. It's brooding. And it's definitely like a. You have to be in the right mood to watch a film to watch it right it's not like a popcorn flick right but one of the things that you mentioned is just you know the way that the film is shot and has a very um and i guess this is where the hitchcock um comparisons come in as well as like the the themes of like being a detective and like snooping around and like creeping is a lot of the shots that they use in this film is very creep like it's like it's not creepy but like it's it's unsettling. Shots, right? It's like, unsettling. You're looking at characters from around the corner, through mirrors, through windows. Like it's very voyeuristic, and it just gives yeah, it gives the film a very unsettling vibe. Like you're the, the entire film, the vibes are off on everybody yeah. and everything. The vibes are there, off. There, yes. There's one that I don't necessarily think this is too much of a spoiler because the premise is in the premise. It's so the main like murder that he's looking into is you know this husband of this woman and because he fell off like this, I don't know, cliff or this rock face. So at one point when we're talking about these visuals is we are seeing out of the dead guy's eye and looking up and we see an ant crawl across his eye. And so the ant is like huge. And it was such a, I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. (laughs) So I was like, that was very cool. He doesn't do it, you know, much because that was the only dead guy. Like they showed, his POV, but I was like, okay, I I, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know? So yeah, um, well, because the main guy, the main detect, the main detective, Heijun, he's yeah. like he's a detective, like Sherlock Holmes is a detective, where mm-hmm. like he goes into his mind palace and visualizes everything, and the way that they shoot his like kind of investigation style is also really like. Like it's a film where if you like look away for ten seconds, you have no idea what the hell is going on. Right? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm. We get we get some like chronological leaps, right? Because he is they the the film convention puts him in the events that happened, um, which I actually think is an interesting choice for something like a noir. Because usually, like when you're putting someone in a in a situation and then showing us like the potential murder scene or the potential way it happened, like once we see it, we kind of as the audience just accept that that is the truth of what happened. Yeah. Or at least that was my experience as a as like watching this film. I'm like, okay, that's how it happened. Like and and I feel like some of the aspects of noir psychological thriller is that you're not really supposed to be sure if anything is true at any certain point. Yeah. I think that's a really big theme in this film because I want to ask you two about this, but um something very specific to this film is that the woman, the widow, she is uh of Chinese background. And yes. in Korea. And so there are moments when they talk where she has to talk into her phone in order for it to translate to the detective. Like her English, I mean her English, her Korean, she keeps saying is insufficient. So she can like say certain things, but not like the more complex thoughts. So I want to kind of get your impression on like, how did that feel? Like uh, when she was doing that? Or do you think that lit 
added any sort of layer to her sort of testimony. Yeah, well, it's a funny experience for me because I understand Chinese and I uh, more than I understand Korean. So <laughs> yeah. every time they did not sub her speaking because it was supposed to be in Chinese, I was like, oh, yeah, I get what she's saying. And was she saying any- that? Yeah, she was okay. saying yeah. that. Okay. And then I didn't and know she that speaks in like she speaks in prose to a lot. She speaks in mm. like in like, like Confu- she quotes Confucius and like yeah. this, this very like high level, like poetic language. Right. Which is something he also kind of points out um, the, the detective. But he's like, oh, like, do you do you speak this way because you only watch drama? Like you learn <laughs> Korean from dramas, which is like, yes, a very real thing. Yeah. And, and uh, I, yeah, yeah, I think that's the extra level of for me of language is how we communicate to each other. And in this movie, it's a lot of that. It's like what they're not saying. And then yet yeah. what they're still communicating to each other. Like she knows he he likes her, but he's not like making some overt passes at her, you know, or doing anything yeah. like that. And it's sort of like vice versa. I mean, he bought her the real nice sushi, though. The real nice sushi. I, I did want sushi after this movie. I have to say, this was like that was the first clue for me. I was like, oh my god, yes, this is going to be so funny. So uh, I, it's an ongoing thing, but um, where because they have to talk to each other for so long for the witness testimony or whatever, um, they have to have break for lunch, and at some point, like he orders like the really expensive sushi set, uh, set and the other people in the uh, police academy or whatever office are just like what the fuck like <laughs> <laughs> what is this um, of course later yeah. we will get to that anyway yeah. but yeah I, I really love that touch and again that's communication uh, yeah um, and also funny is <laughs> both Jess and I didn't realize but the the woman the femme fatale in this film is played by Tong Wei who famously mm-hmm. played a similar character in Lust Caution a much oh. more sexy film <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a yeah. way sexier film where she gets to do it with Tony Leung. So I, I'm like, oh, I was like, why does she look so familiar? I was like, I must have seen her in something. I was like, oh, it's Tang Wei. Like, no wonder. <laughs> and she is Chinese, so I'm wondering yeah. if she learned. Well, she's Korean. married to a Korean director. Yeah, yeah. And so oh. I think I read in, in the article that her actual Korean is actually way more colloquial and fluent mm. than what she plays. Like she's she's actually a very good. She's pretty good at that's. Damn, people were like can pick up languages. Mm, so jealous. <laughs> but um, she is, you know, she's a fantastic like like I, it's interesting that the character is, you know, in this position of 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 less power. Right. She's an immigrant. Mm-hmm. She's technically an illegal immigrant. But I think in the, the characters presented as ethnically Korean or she has Korean ancestry. Like her grandfather was a Korean national fighting in the. In World in War Ch- II. Manchuria. Yeah. yeah. And it's, there was a little note that I picked up because my wife is also um, ethnic Chinese, but her family's from Korea. Mm. And the way that in the film they refer to the maternal grandfather, Lao Ye, is the same way that my wife refers to her maternal grandfather. Oh, okay. See, yeah. these are things I needed to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. And it's just interesting because she uses what would be something that makes her in a position of less power in her favor. Right. She's like, oh, sorry. Like, I, I'm not using the right words. Or like, I laugh when I'm nervous. And, you know, those are all signs that would make any other widow suspicious. But you're like, because there's this language barrier, perceived language barrier, barrier. She it's like you can never be sure of like, oh, does she mean to say that or does she just not know? And that kind of plays in her favor, right? Ultimately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I also really love, like we mentioned. This Younger. Film was also really funny. He's kind of an idiot, and though, right? The, a lot of the 
uh, comedic relief comes from the other cops that the main character is partnered with. Mm-hmm. Um, starting with <laughs> um, his first partner, who I think in a Hong Kong film would have been played by Takeshi Kaneshiro when he was younger, <laughs> probably. Oh, he he's very enjoyable. Yes, uh, he he's he he can't run. That that was so funny when he's like, <laughs> like I was like, oh, old man is fit. Like he's going up them stairs. Mm-hmm. He, I, I, I do love the sight gag of he just has. He's like Detective Gadget. He just has like multiple things in his pockets, like ready at any. Oh yeah, yeah. He has a chance. Like he's suit. a fucking chainmail glove in his pocket, ready to take down people with knives. Yeah. So my favorite line in there is at some point, um, the woman has to get something out of his pockets, and she's like, wait it's not in your pocket and he's like no i have like 12 pockets in my jacket and like six in my pants and i get them custom tailored by this guy yeah and, and he just goes on into this like long ass explanation and I'm, i was like it's not the same suit it's not the same suit like yeah. i have multiple i don't i'm not disgusting like i don't wear the same <laughs> yeah. suit every single day i was dying laughing just like what a random little thing but also it's like okay this kind of tells you something about the character i'm not sure what. but yeah i love that but yeah, yeah I, the, when he brought out what looked to me like an oyster shucking glove uh to fight the guy with the knife i was just like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> uh so good um, yeah and you know we've gone through all this it's like so far we've been describing this romance between a detective and his murder suspect because the tongway is playing the wife of a man who was fallen off a mountain and they suspect foul play maybe mm-hmm. um we haven't even mentioned that detect- the lead detective himself is a married man he's a married he, he's man. a weekend and, yes husband, yeah, yes right? yeah and he's um been um in a different city i think different city or yeah like, um his wife's in Ipo, he's in pusan yeah, yeah in order to do his all of these murder investigations and um and he also apparently has really bad insomnia for the most part. So that's kind of an ongoing storyline too. Um, but It's a very noiry detective thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, right? yeah. It, it, it's a psychological trauma that's supposed to tell you something about something. You know? <laughs> so um, it, it, he created this character that was very specific and it, he was entertaining. I liked it. Uh, he's messed up for sure, but I feel like that makes them perfect for each other. Well, I also think it's just so I, I did a whole segment in of noir in in college for my film class. And like, I think it's really, really interesting. I love noir. I love all the tropes. I think they're really fun. Um, but, you know, noir, uh, I mean, there's neo-noir. But like a lot of the noir movies come in the context of like this fear of increasing urbanization. Like there is a lot of racist undertones or racial undertones, however you want to, inf- and, you know interpret it in like you know 1940s 1950s post-war so when you put the noir in a modern setting and especially as i'm watching it as an adult woman in the modern setting i have a very different reaction to it now (laughs) because noir it's traditionally male focused Mm -hmm. right it's a male gumshoe there's a femme fatale character and like a big part of it is that he's kind of like you know like seduced or like just becomes romantically involved with like this femme fatale and he can't control himself and i'm watching this as like a 30 year old woman about to getting you know engaged and like i'm just like my dude all of this would have not been an issue if you merely stayed to the ethics of your job and slash did not cheat on your wife emotionally yeah yeah like men are so dumb yeah and i think that's an interesting like um thing you picked up is they never actually like physically cheat but it's all like emotional he's definitely like horny for this woman but he knows he can't do anything but he's doing all the steps right if 
if I have learned anything from my vast, you know, knowledge of K dramas <laughs> in two months that I've been watching, it is emotion is actually the most important part. The physical is just kind of like technicality. So well, yeah. to me, it's it also could be commentary. Just like his wife is kind of really fun, right? His wife is very cute. She's yeah. capable. She's yeah. independent. She works for like a nuclear plant. Like she mm-hmm. doesn't really need him. Yeah. But it seems like this woman, like like. And this is true, also true from my experience as an adult woman in this world. Anytime I've truly been like shit out of luck and trouble, a random man I do not know has swept in and helped me. I don't know if it's programmed in y'all biologically, Marvin, but like, I feel like there is this like innate, like, I don't know what the need is to be like the knight in shining armor. Um, but he just like cannot help himself. He's like, I need to save this woman. Like, I need to help this woman. And I'm just like... I think I just have two words for that uh representation matters (laughs) (laughs) well I mean I do agree to some part with that because he he it does make him feel more manly right but I also do think because he is clearly damaged um that like you know is it drawn to like I think they are both messed up in their unique ways. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he, his wife doesn't need him. <laughs> so, and, and I feel like part of him knows that. So, um, She's so cute. Yeah. But also, yeah, noir, like everyone's messed up. That, that's the only way it kind of works. Um, and But like what's his I think what's interesting is we don't really understand why he's messed up. Like he has a yeah. great life. Um, you, we I understand where like poor girl like yeah, she went so, through stuff. Sungre has a fucked up life no wonder she is messed up you know like she actually makes makes way more sense to me as a character mm-hmm. um like yeah you gotta do what you gotta do to survive and you know like it, it like that even though like i don't fully understand like this obsession she has with him until like she kind of explains it's like you don't want me so now i want you mm-hmm. but like like we don't really spend a lot of time like understanding why he is the way he is he just is that fucked up detective it's true that we didn't get a tragic backstory for him which is very unusual but at the same time there are hints like even the wife knows because at some point she's like congratulations you know gets the phone and she's like there's been a murder so she knows that he's like thrives on murder so there's definitely yeah there's something that we don't know about and we almost have to take it as a given yeah it seems like he's just he's a workaholic and he can only the reason that he's not with his wife is because there's no murders in that countryside (laughs) nuclear town right he needs to be in Busan where people kill each other all the time and he can solve murders yeah uh I will I will note like when you talk about Noir, of course, being very male, and uh, and Park Chan Wook, he he kind of started the Korean New Wave cinema as far as when it comes to especially the American appreciation of uh, Korean movies because I think it really did start with Old Boy. Like he's done other films, but Old Boy was what got attention from like the Quentin Tarantinos and other people and um, stuff like that. So I I was at the Alamo Draft House when I was watching this. And so they had a whole slideshow about the Korean New Wave cinema. And of course, all of these people are men. <laughs> like mm-hmm. maybe I saw one woman's name later, later, later on. And of course I hadn't ever heard of her. So I was just like, oh crap, I need to like check her out. But yeah, for the most part, they're all men. And of course it's a patriarchal society. Um, mm-hmm. So this is all sort of plays into that. I still enjoyed the movie, but I was very well aware <laughs> of the points of yes. views that we're getting. Yes. I'm just like, you know, I couldn't help but be like, you're so dumb. Like, nearly <laughs> do not do this. Like, I don't, 
have some self-control, dude. Merely do not. Yeah. Maybe do not go stalk her house. Maybe do not help her, you know, do certain things. Maybe <laughs> do not hang out with her afterwards. Maybe. Just maybe. This all I mean, but then we'd have no movie. So that's, that's true. That's the trade-off. All right. Um we're gonna we're gonna go into spoilers in a little bit, but to kind of close off this discussion for those of you who are, you know, kind of wondering what this film is all about and, you know, getting our, our takes. Um, let's just ask the question now and before we get into spoilers, is Decision to Leave good pop? Uh, yes. Yes. I do think, again, like it shows a, there is a, there is a third thing besides Marvel blockbuster <laughs> that you need to have like 20 years of knowledge to experience fully. Um, and like super indie, I have no fucking clue what's going on. Like there is a third thing, which is, you know, art house cinema with a capital C that is still highly entertaining. And, um, you know, another podcast I really like says, you know, movie for adults, <laughs> like this is a movie for adults, right? Yeah. And not not just in content, but just like in like just subtleness. It's not like boom, boom, boom. Um, and it's I you know subtitles. I think I think the more we can push that film isn't just an American thing is always a good thing. So yeah, would would recommend. And also, you know, some very attractive people being mysterious. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would agree. Um, it in ways. It did remind me of a lot about uh, Hitchcock films. Um, Hitchcock being a problematic director, of course, sort of plays into everything. And it's a theme, but like it reminded me in many ways of like Marnie or Vertigo. Uh, the, besides having the femme fatale, the sort of like trying to figure out the mystery uh, at the heart of Vertigo, um, not knowing you know people's motivations. Uh, also, the beautiful colors i i think one of the things that i found very interesting was her costuming um because for the first half of the movie she's wearing like these super rich colors and like sumptuous like full skirts and sweaters but then later on she's like in in patterns and stuff so i'm just like what's going on but it's like it's eye-catching um oh my god his apartment in busan is so chic oh uh, yeah, yeah like with the blue wallpaper i was like oh my god i'm very like every- much into yeah. the wallpaper in this in this movie yeah so just keep your All eye the on the houses back. are really beautiful even his like family house in busan uh, in ipo where he, he lives with mm-hmm. his wife I was like this is a very chic house like get lady got taste yeah yeah so uh there i think there's just so much going on with it that it's just very enjoyable and i I will drive home that I found it a very funny movie. Um, I did yes. see it at the Alamo Draft House, which I thought was an ideal place to see it because um, you kind of need to settle in. You can't you can't let yourself get distracted and walk off and do stuff. So I, I would definitely say see it in a theater if possible because if you're at home, you may not get the full experience. If it, obviously if you're safe, you can see it in a theater. But um, yeah, so I, I was very happy to have like a movie day out to see this. Yeah. I, d- I also concur that this is good pop. I mean, just any any art film that Jess is up on is is a good sign to be that anyone can enjoy this film, really. I think it's just one of those films where it's just it's a 
good detective story. It keeps you on your toes. And, you know, it's a film where not only are the actors putting in work, but also the cinematography, like just the fact that you can sit and say, man, that's an interesting shot in the middle of this like really tense film. It's it's a full art film experience and definitely worth watching. Yeah. Again, on the biggest screen you can find if possible. Um, Cool. All right. With that out of the way, though, um, Mm -hmm. let's get into the spoiler zone because as a mystery, I do want to hear your thoughts on the resolution of this film. Um, Again, because because of some of the stuff that you guys brought up in terms of this being like, you know, still very male centric story and a trope in noir stories is also the femme fatale gets it right at the end. And that kind of happens. Yeah. Um, I'm of two minds, for one. Like, yes, she's still... Okay, the spoilers. Basically, she buries herself alive to be his... One that... Well, his last unresolved case, right? Because she wants to disappear. So he essentially will spend the rest of his fucking life obsessing over her and what happened to her. So on one hand, I'm like, okay. Yes, I get the tropes of noir, but it's also like, is it i mean she chooses to do so but she's really making this decision based off her obsession with this man on the other hand i so respect the level of pettiness that she is doing in which she is basically self-immolating her to drive this man insane um so i really don't know how i feel about it han how do you feel about it yeah well she is a complex character which we have alluded to many times but also uh I think something, you know, part of the spoiler is that she did indeed kill her first husband. And we learned that she had concocted this whole thing where she, you know, basically covered herself and was seen on CCTV, um, but actually, you know, scaled the mountain or whatever that cliff herself and pushed her husband off of the cliff. But what covered it all up and the detective did actually get the evidence of that with using a... um, uh, elevation tracker, right? So we do, on one hand, know that she is a guilty murderer. <laughs> um, but husband kind of hus- husband it. isn't great. Husband isn't great. <laughs> so that's also where that difficulty comes in. Also, detective lets her off. Like he's torn, but he lets her off. So he is also complicit. So he's not, yes. you know, innocent either. Um, so there is that thing where you're like, okay, so should I be gunning for this guy, uh, this woman or not? And then when she chooses to do this, which is insane. First of all, did you know you can just dig a hole with, with a bucket? Yeah, I was like, that, do you know how hard it is, it is to dig a hole? It's very hard. It takes a really long time. She, you, you can't do that in that time. That's, that's unrealistic. Also, Agreed. In, at the beach, which definitely has softer sand and so it would definitely just be filling up at the same time so good job with the bucket but yeah i i was trying to figure out what i felt about it like because i even left the movie i was thinking well what else could he have done um in a way he uh, the director because he also wrote it i believe um sort of painted himself into a corner um with this and he created this character who is not really a person but more of a character right and I felt like that's the only way I could think about it because if I thought of her as a real person it I think it would have disturbed me too much because I was I was like I don't want to imagine what she was doing which is basically being buried alive in the you know by the, the ocean oh, yeah I was like you have that much willpower to like just Stay let yourself there? be buried alive right. like like they didn't show her, her like killing herself before putting taking, herself in the hole yeah or the taking fentanyl. drugs yeah mm-hmm. yeah so yeah I mean, this is something that the film does is 
it cuts away from like we mentioned that this film isn't graphic and it does cut away from anything that's graphic like the man falling from the mountain like they they point at the aftermath right that's one of the comedic points is that he hit his head here 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 and here um we see we don't see the one of the perps that detective catches kill himself like they always cut away from the graphic yeah parts. and and the thing is so there is this theme right about like elevation and stuff like that we do see there's a, a a case in the middle of the movie where the detective is chasing down this guy who they thought like killed someone and um he it was because he was in love with this other guy's woman right and so his his last quote-unquote romantic act is to jump off the building in front of her and die in front of her which i was i was half laughing and half like horrified um and 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 it for me i was just like is this what love is in this weird movie, which is basically horrible and sacrificial and whatever. And so in a way, whatever her last act is. So even if it's kind of like a fuck you to the guy, but it's also her show of love. But, I don't know. But Very I posit <laughs> this, like those other guys, we all saw the body afterwards. I know Grant and I get that yeah. she's technically buried, but we never see the body. We never see her get <laughs> actually buried. She could be just watching this detective looking for her on the cliff somewhere like a character from you. Yeah, they they made him stand on top of the hole where she was. I, I mean, I I totally agree. They do leave it open to interpretation. And my interpretation is she died in the <laughs> hole. So, um, because also she is now on the opposite. Like all these other these dudes fell off of like either cliffs or buildings, and she is deep in a hole. <laughs> and I, it's like I don't exactly know what that means, but I do feel like that's important to the movie is that she decides to go deep um and it might be also maybe a reflection of male crap you know (laughs) that she had to do this in order to have some to get one over on him um but yeah it, it was her choice it is her decision to leave um and that's the only thing i can say is yeah her taking some sort of control that's true because she makes the decision to leave more than once and he never does he doesn't want to leave his wife he doesn't want to leave his job he's obviously in this woman he's not willing to leave for her yeah i just think all of this could have been avoided if he merely (laughs) did his job as intended and did not cheat on his wife i'm just you know and it's like when you see a movie like a rom-com you're like all of this could have been avoided if you had a healthy communication (laughs) well rom-coms especially i'm just like even after the era of uh, cell phones, I'm like, how are you going to keep them apart now? Like, how are you going to get that airport running scene? <laughs> so it's usually like a signal or something. But yeah, I, usually communication is important. I did want to ask your thoughts about just like, like I mentioned, this this film is like, it's two films. It's like the film, it's the detective film and it's sequel, right? Because like you mentioned, the first case gets closed. She did it, but he lets her get away. Then it then becomes like whole... Like at that point, I was like, is this movie done? But then, no, there's still half a movie left. What did you think of when it shifted gears to when he becomes like a cynical, grizzled cop now working in the countryside and she becomes like a different like type the, of femme the, fatale? The cat mouse yeah. dynamic kind of changes, right? Um, I thought it was much more interesting because she is such an unknown figure. Like, you do not know what she's 
willing you you don't get her mo like then it becomes i feel like it became a lot more heightened and maybe i'm also biased because i'm always you know i'm not gonna lie i've i was always on her side because <laughs> i'm just looking at this like sad middle-aged man i'm like my dude merely do your job and do not <laughs> cheat on your wife um she i wanted her to get away with everything yeah because i'm like your husband sucks he's exploiting you um, because you are in this like tenuous immigration, he literally monograms you. Name onto your he may, yeah, yeah, he like brands her and like what an asshole. I'm like, you know what? Do what you gotta do. Uh, pu- push him off a mountain. I support you, girl. <laughs> uh, I also just like well, I liked actually both parts of the movie, but the part I did enjoy about the second half was she really leaned into the whole femme fatale. So she had all these costumes and different wigs. And, <laughs> and, and so I, I, whenever I would see her with a different haircut, I was like, oh, cool, fun. Um, but I, I, I do think then once again, um, if you want to interpret the ending differently then maybe she just put on a different wig and went off and did another reinvented herself again um but uh yeah i i I don't know if i actually here's the thing i don't know if i cared about the cop in the second half that much like in the first half i did um but once i was just like you let her go i was just like yeah you just you made your bed you made your bed yeah you're you're a bad cop (laughs) (laughs) sorry like she didn't even like put the moves on you she didn't even like like she didn't seduce you. She didn't. She showed you a bruise on her leg, and you were like, "Yes, I will give you everything." <laughs> That's dumb. The the one spoilery thing about the wallpaper I did want to note was that in her home, um, in the first half of the film, she had wallpaper of mountains, um, and weirdly enough, that same wallpaper was used for the cover of the book she had. Um, so I was just like, well, mountains, <laughs> even though she says she doesn't like heights, I was like, that tells you right there. But, uh, so I like that a lot, <laughs> but clues are right in front of us all along. Yeah. I'm sure there are others. If I watch it again, <laughs> there's going to be other stuff like things that had more meaning, but I did also like when we were talking about the change in, um, uh, how he treats her with giving her expensive sushi at first. But then the second time when her second husband dies and he thinks, oh no, I've been taken for a fool. She's just a killer, killing machine. Um, he <laughs> gives her like a corn dog instead. <laughs> so, it's, so it's like, I this is my feelings for you and food, which is like this crappy street food. Huh. Jokes, jokes, jokes on, on you. you. I also like corn yes, dogs. I do too. <laughs> yeah, Korean corn dogs are a thing now though here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people in LA big I love that shit I well pretty much I'm gonna I at some point I want to go to Korea and eat all the street food (laughs) (laughs) all right um anything any last thoughts on the decision to leave before we wrap up for today Uh, I you know I just thought it was interesting that this was his his next movie and the deliberate you know choice to not be as violent and as sexual but I think it still had a lot of impact um and I I think if he is still trying to make some sort of commentary about society, I think him being a man sometimes does get in the way of maybe what's going on. Uh, but it, I was, yeah, I was overall pleased with the fact that there is, I do believe, a strong female character, even though I don't love how the ending was. So. Tell you. Merely, final words, merely do not cheat on your <laughs> wife. I kept turning to Marvin. I was like, Marvin, don't do that. He's being dumb. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. 
All right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for a discussion of Decision to Leave, the latest film from Park Chan-wook, now playing in theaters everywhere and coming soon on movie, right? It's going to be streaming at some point. At some point. I I thought it was going to happen earlier, but I think they want to keep it in theaters for a while for award season. Oh, for good reason, too. Um, it's yeah. definitely going to be uh, a strong contender. Um Yes. Um, come award season. But uh, yeah, definitely check it out. Um, Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter. Uh, Jess Jude tweets. For fair warning, it's all about Taylor Swift right now. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. Uh, and I am at Anonymous. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. You can find exactly. me on Twitter at Marvin Yeah, You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian American podcasts. Including the Korean drama podcast, if you want to follow their thoughts on Itaewon Class, um, yeah. Han's latest K-drama obsession, um, at the website podcastpotluck.com. Uh, I think next week we're doing our Mamma Mia-thon, finally. Um, Jess has finally convinced me <laughs> to watch both Mamma Mia movies and talk about my thoughts and feelings. Um, so yeah, next week will be a post-Mamma Mia world for one Marvin Yeh. And me. I haven't watched any of them. Oh, you too, Han. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. (laughs) All right. All right. Uh, We'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Robin. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics. The weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Robin Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Maracas to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun. <laughs>